Hello, I'm Christy Duncan, founder of Women in Payments, a global network that connects, inspires, and champions women across the global payments industry. Welcome to our Pause for Payments podcast. Every week, we sit down with an inspiring woman leading the way in her field. We'll discuss industry and career-related topics and share personal success stories to inspire and empower the next generation of women leaders. Before we begin, I'd like to thank our sponsors for their continued support. With your help, we can go further, faster. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Pause for Payments. I am Christy Duncan, and I am delighted to be chatting today with Mike Cook, who is Global Payments Leader at IBM, based in Toronto. Welcome, Mike. Welcome, Christy. Nice to see you. Thanks so much. I am so excited to talk today about what we've seen in payments in 2021 and try to make some informed and perhaps bold predictions for 2022 across four payment domains, modernization, innovation, marketplace, as well as people and talent. What a year it has been. 2021 has been really fascinating and who would have expected what we've seen this year. Payments Canada revealed that digital payments grew in volume to represent 79% of all our transactions in 2020, as consumers' appetite for digital transactions has fueled growth in online transfers by a whopping 48% and e-commerce by another 20%. So let's start, Mike, by telling the audience about what you do at IBM and your role at this awesome global payments group. So we run a global payments group that goes across all of our products and industries, and we create centers in every geography to consult and bring solutions in. We also deliver payments as a service. We also build strategy for payments company. And it was already a busy business. You know, we've seen modernization come in waves at various parts of the world generally started in the East and Asia and Pacific and in Australia, come through Europe, now hitting North America. What's been fascinating for the last 18 months with that, that C word, that COVID word, is all the things that you were alluding to up front. The acceleration of digital agendas in every industry has been ridic- r- remarkable. E-commerce is up 45%. Person-to-person remittances are up. Good Lord, the, the, the amount of digital immigrants. If you think of, if you split our demographics to the digital natives, which pretty much goes up to millennials right now, the digital immigrants were always that sort of interesting demographic of the 50 plus. Massive new entrance into the e-commerce space where uh, we now see everybody Literally everybody in, in society has done some form of digital transaction. And that's rippling, of course, through all the payments. And we, we've seen where all the payment stats have gone to now. I believe every payment agency, every bank I've spoken to was on this journey of we will progressively bring in digital payments, we will progressively bring in real-time payments, and we will progressively diminish and get rid of those older payment structures like check and cash, COVID just put gasoline on the fire and now everything has gone faster. So that that creates chaos and opportunity. Let's put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) I had a plan. You've kind of screwed it up. Now I got to go fast. And I I guess to, to a lot of the people in the payments industry, 
The other thing that's happened is there's been an unprecedented injection of capital into the markets that throughout the world, governments propped up the, the hit to the economy and Canada was served. It was payroll support in various other parts of the world. There was in North America where, where cash in, in deposits is normally around one, one and a half trillion. Uh, in the last year, it was four trillion. And that found its way into the markets. It's part of the reason we see these inflated, well, sorry, that was a personal opinion, but higher valuations of all these digital companies. And so every digital company that was in this space and maybe working at the margins has been riding this wave and they've been propped up with unprecedented amounts of cheap capital. So, what, what used to be perhaps to the mainstream payments organization, the fringe companies in payments are now very much weaponized with cheap capital. Their entire value proposition fits into this digital world. And so the PayPal's, the Squares, the Stripes, the Alipay's, the Tencent WePay's have been leaning into that really hard. And they've been, they've been blessed with this, this market that says, oh, and by the way, it's not going to cost you a lot to have the capital to build the expansion, to grow it, and your market's hot. So all of those things are floating around in our industry right now. Uh, com competition, I'm going to put some kerosene on the fire. User demand and uptake, I'm going to put some kerosene on the fire. And that's kind of the context that's that's gone through the last 18 months. And where I'm sitting at at the end of this year, Christy, that's what's going to go into the next year. That, that what started as an event is now we've just basically reestablished human behaviors and they're going to persist. We're going to continue working in a digital world. We'll continue buying and spending and moving money in a digital world. And it's just going to get more and more aggressive. That kind of makes sense to you? Yeah, no, it's fascinating. I love this global perspective, putting it all into a global context. It's, it's really helpful and really insightful. And looking at that cash injection going to fuel this growth, as well as the, the demand from, from the pandemic, which has fueled the growth. We've got kerosene on top of kerosene. It's just on fire in more ways than one. Uh, and you at IBM, clearly as a service provider, a PAAS and payment strategy provider, are well positioned, I think, to help support that growth. So it must be really exciting. It's, it's really exciting and, and it can be very challenging because, like I said, we have the, the ideal conditions for opportunities and threats. <laughs> so to a lot of my clients... Having a strong paytech community is not necessarily a good thing because they are in the existing conventional payments world. So a lot of the work we're doing is trying to help them figure out, well, how do I, how do I bring the equivalent of cheap capital to you? If you're a, a, a high street brand name bank, it's not like you could stop being profitable. <laughs> it's not like you can just grow. You know, we have constraints on that. And so uh, a lot of work helping, helping banks figure out strategies for how to compete and defend and serve the clients with all this innovation. For, for a lot of our universal banks, you know, it's not just a payments modernization discussion. It's an all of banking discussion. 
one of the biggest areas in banking that grew during the pandemic was direct investing. You know, not advisor-led investing. It was give me the online digital tools. And a lot of these universal banks have those direct investing capabilities and, and they've had to funnel money into that to, to support their users. Users demand more online onboarding. I don't have to go to a branch to open account. So we're putting it into the retail banking functions. Every part of a bank is demanding more capital right now because every part of the bank is responding to the digital needs of their customers. And against that, we have some of these monoliths now, like a PayPal, who does one thing. I move money. I do it globally, so I'm at scale. I have ridiculously cheap capital to work with. And while I am profitable, I don't have to be that profitable to continue being successful because my valuation is a future valuation. It's a really unfair fight. And so with a lot of clients, I'm, I'm working to help balance that fight right now to see how we can bring skills in. In that context, the, the other thing that's, that's really interesting right now, also related to COVID, is the great resignation that's happening. <laughs> and you, you really can't have a discussion on anything in technology, be it payments or, or cybersecurity or fraud or digital banking, without addressing a, a talent uh, shortage right now. And, and this is what I see and I see globally is um, turnover rates of staff in those high demand areas is almost double what it was pre-COVID right now. There's a lot of people just moving around. That demand is also driving up the cost. A North American point of view, I put out there a little bit of data, a little bit of gut feel is it feels like we're paying 20 to 25% more for talent right now than we were two years ago. So there's a shortage of talent, it's moving around and it's getting quite expensive. Um, that's all the bad stuff. Here's the good stuff. You don't have to recruit in your hometown to support your aspirations now. We, we, we've proven to ourselves in the world, we can work virtually. So if you're a Toronto-based organization, there's nothing stopping you from recruiting in St. John, New Brunswick, St. John, Richelieu, Tofino, BC. We, we know how to work as teams um, virtually. If there's one community that's probably the most resistant to coming back to the office, I will tell you it's the tech community because they, they have actually taken this like a you know, ducks to water. Um, and so a lot of discussions on how to build up a supply chain with the right talent, give that supply uh, talent a, a career and do it at a price that's not going to, you know, basically break your own business model. So graduate recruiting with directed sort of, uh, we, what we use is something called a payments university. It's a, it's a basically a nine weeks course that we we take new grants through on welcome to the world of payments. We're doing a lot of remote recruiting uh, all across both, both Canada and, and the US for, for, for the Canada. Uh, my colleagues in the rest of the world are going to small towns in Australia trying to find, <laughs> find talent. I feel like it's gonna be a real boost to some of our more marginalized communities that small town with talent is going to be a place we start targeting. The other thing is, I, 
I, I think a lot of my clients are going to be challenged with, if I can't get talent, you know, I'm going to have to go and buy it. You know, you frankly, come and hire thugs like me to, to, to help them out. I think that is leading into a real, real positive discussion right now in terms of what's the core capabilities I, as a bank or a payments processor, have to have, and where can I find partners to help deal with perhaps the day-to-day -day stuff that's not necessarily strategic to my business case, but I got to do it. I, I see those discussions popping up as being driven by talent. Yeah, this great resignation is is a concern across the board and around the world. And it's an interesting time to be in this industry. And you're right, the tech people have absolutely tapped <laughs> into that yep. <laughs> fact that I can work from anywhere. And I actually prefer Tofino to Toronto. Thank you very much. <laughs> yep. uh, it's happening very fast. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, so it's, it's interesting to watch the a little bit of hollowing out of the cities and that certainly the city cores are looking very, very empty and quiet these days. And I was just in New York a couple of weeks ago and my colleague Allison said, you know, New York was like going to New York on a Sunday used to be. Yep. There's just no one there. And we went to restaurants and they never got more than half full, which is tough. It is tough. I think the other thing that, that we're watching for next year, you know, we have this flurry of activity in the payment space. The security of the economy was basically underwritten by, by governments around the world. We plowed money rightfully, in my opinion, into our economy to stabilize it. And around the world, that's coming to an end. <laughs> and so the winners and losers, I don't think, have yet to be determined. You know, that that's this this I believe is a the shakeup will will persist, you know, frankly, forever. And the winners in the next digital economy and 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 who they are going to be in which industries, it's all going to come back to payments too, because anything we do in life, it ends up if it's significant enough, we end up moving money around. What's going to happen in retail and retail purchases, I, I think is now bound and determined through a path. E-commerce has now you know, gone through its hockey stick of growth. It's going to continue growing. We're going to see more payments. We're going to start seeing the demand for ubiquitous payments. Whatever it is I'm using on Amazon.com, I want to use at Starbucks. I want to use at Canadian Tire. I want to use at Walmart. I want to use in terms of sending money to Christy to pay for the lunch she bought me last week. User ease is going to show a uh, point to the growth in wallets. And, and, and the stuff I've been looking at this right now, we see about a little under 2 trillion, 1.8 trillion of, of global purchases being made through wallets. Uh, that's predicted to grow to four and a half trillion in the next four years. And the number of users of wallets is going to get north of four and a half billion. Oh, sorry, it's going to be a $10 trillion business. Users will go from $1.8 billion to $4.4 billion. Value of it will go from about $4.5 to $10 trillion. Got my numbers mixed up there. We're going to see wallets explode. The expectation will be that there's ubiquitous access to that wallet that I can go anywhere with it. 
we're also going to see, I think, on top of that, a real fight to who's, who's that top of wallet. <laughs> because that's going to kick in. Something I've been tracking for the last year, a, a little bit COVID-inspired and a little bit digitally digital evolution inspired is the rise in subscriptions. Subscriptions went through the roof during COVID. We all bought Disney, Netflix and Disney Plus. We all signed up to iTunes, Apple or Spotify. We see recurring subscriptions growing at an exponential rate. And as you know, Christy, for the rest of the payments business, that's wonderful. You know, recurring monthly transactions are the, the stuff of a payments business. And so positioning yourself with your payment product to get that has got to be figured out. It's going to be in a wallet somewhere whose wallet and what instrument is in that wallet is kind of important. Another one I'm, I'm watching is the credit card business because we're kind of used to that ubiquity of a credit card. I can use it anywhere, tip, tap, put on, the, put on a website. And so that ease of use is, is hitting this sort of rock and immovable force of the current demographics. So the Gen Z and Gen uh, millennials, right up to millennials. So, so something like 60% of our population, when you look at the various payment methods, they like credit cards is the least favored. Only about- Why is that? I don't know. I, I don't know the, the research. It, it's, I haven't gone that. I've got to get into my social economic behavior research to figure that out. But I have 20, 25 year old twin girls. You know, and just like all of us of our generation, Christy, we got them credit cards when they went to university just in case. I think they've collectively used them eight times in the last eight years. They're debit people. They're PayPal people. They're wallet people. Um, they're very much debit. And again, I haven't found the research to explain at a human socioeconomic level why that is. I accept the fact that that's it. And it's starting to map into the credit card business. So I, I, I suspect we're going to start seeing a renewal in that credit card business of some way to bring a new value proposition to it. The ubiquity is starting to fade. Ease of use and ease of credit um, for those who may have trouble getting credit is starting to fade because we've also seen an, uh, an explosion of credit options most recently with the reemergence of buy now, pay later which will soon be followed by buy now, pay never. <laughs> and, and they're all coming in. But isn't, with, that, isn't that what a credit card is in some it, cases? Yeah, it, it, it's just a marketing statement away from being that. So I'm expecting to see movement in that space, both with the, the existing incumbents to redefine what that value proposition is for a credit card and where global ubiquity is no longer a, a defense mechanism because we see ubiquity popping up with other payment options in the face of a, a demographic that says it's my least favored way of paying. So I expect that to, to change a lot, both for the folks going after that credit card business and the folks trying to protect that business. There's going to have to be some change and some innovation going there. I guess the last thing I'm watching is real time. I've had the good, the good blessings to see real time get deployed in Asia very, very fast. I've seen it come through Europe and, and what's emerging there. And now all the data, all the, the, the signs show that the growth for real time is now in North America. 
that in the States, RTP and when FedNow gets deployed, they're going to enjoy a sort of 45% CAGR for the next five years. And, and anecdotally, you know, the calls I get from clients, I, I can support that, you know, that, that I, you can feel the, the rising discussion. And you know where we are in Canada on this point too, where we have a real-time option through, through Interact and there's going to be a real-time rail for competition to come in and, and offer new things there. I believe that is going to grow at pretty serious rates in the marketplace. And that the pull from small, medium-sized businesses is going to propel that. I, I, I think there's there's going to be sort of, you know, ironically in, in both Canada and the US, it's that mid-market sort of billion-dollar company that's the bedrock of our economy. I think when it comes to real-time payments, it's going to be the really, really small guys, the, 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 the high street businesses and gig economy workers and the really, really big guys doing big money flows who get their heads around the treasury liquidity uh, reconciliation capabilities of real-time payments quicker, they're going to start demanding these things from market. So we've been gearing up our teams with the expectation that there will be more discussions, more strategy work around real time, more definition of verticals that will support real time, and frankly, just more real time projects in 2022. So, um, well, that's really exciting. Certainly never too late. The, the last topic that's been kind of in my head, Christy, has been, so it, it's funny, you know, in, in global payment, it's kind of like the unicorn here cross-border payments. It's the mother load prize for us in real time, cheaper, better payment structures, because there's $130 trillion worth of global trade going on right now. And everyone sees the way to do it. And many, 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 many companies have come up with many, many different mechanisms to support that business right now. And when you ask the, the, the users of that company, well, where's the, what don't you like? It's, it's cost and friction. But it's not enough of a dislike to really drive a change in the market. And so I, I'm, I'm, I've been watching this since one of my pet projects to see, to try and predict where this is going and I don't know. I think it will be fragmented between global business money movement and person-to-person -person money movement. That person-to-person -person money movement, which was frankly what uh, Facebook was going after with when they announced Libra, that yeah. I'm going to create money movement with a stable coin for those across the world. And, and certainly Facebook has everything they need for that. They have the billions of users. They have a global space. They have the ability to back a stable coin currency, and more and more jurisdictions are allowing them to do that. I can see that evolving. I wouldn't bet my farm on it right now, but I can see that being an answer and variants of that being an answer. Um, we see a part of that already in, in, in companies like Tencent and the WeChat pay function is a peer-to-peer -peer wallet amongst its users they can move money around. And when you've got 1.2 billion users, then I guess you can talk to an awful lot of people and move money around in that group. For the corporates, I don't know, you know, that, that how this is eventually going to play out. Is there going to be a mother of all blockchain and, and, and digital currency managing global trade? 
perhaps in 57 years, but, but I don't see it happening right here, right now. What I do think we might see more of, and, and it was just announced, I think, last month, the real-time rail in India, UPI run by NPIL, the real-time rail in Singapore, Singapore Fast, have signed their agreement and shook their hands and said, we're going to tie them together, count to count, money transfer, reconciliation, backed by the respective central banks, we're good to go, let's go. And I see an inherent business case there between big trading blocks. You got a rail, I got a rail, we'll figure out the governance, we'll put this in, I can give you cost, I can give you frictionless, I can give you real-time liquidity, which both central banks kind of like to see and both, both economies like to see. I, I, I'm kind of bullish on to see how that goes through 2022, how many other central banks are going to jump up and say, hey, um, Fed, hi, nice to meet you. Let, why don't we take RTR and RTP and, and Fed now and actually connect them? And, and, and I think we're going to see some of that. Yeah. And I think uh, the MAS also announced a, a, a deal or at least a, a trial with um, Thailand for I think it's consumer, but real-time cross-currency trade there as well. And I, I think there's also potential, as you say, Mike, for once we get farther up the curve on CBDCs, the central bank digital currencies, that'll, I think, facilitate that. Uh, yeah. And especially at the wholesale level, right? So um, I just kind of sort of put a bow on it here, Christy. A whole bunch happened. The biggest thing that I'm uh, sort of walking into 2022 with right now is that it's just going to continue. This this wasn't an event. This was a shift in human behavior that happened. And, and, and when you take seven, eight billion people and you change the way they live, that's going to be a forever change. And, and, and I think what COVID did is, is they made it happen all at once, as opposed to this nice, gradual way we're going to do. And in that context, when you change something that violently, that quickly, the, the winners and losers in this will be the ones who can react. And, and for a lot of our clients, it's how do I keep up with this and where do I choose to focus? I, I was just speaking with a client yesterday, and I chose 12 topics and payments to talk about. I could have found another 12. I'm sure they had another 12. There is no shortage of issues that you could be working on right now in payments. Given the pace and change that's going on, and you can only do so many things, and there's only so many people to do these things, choices are going to be really important. You know, so Where do you start? It, it's funny when you have these sort of cataclysmic events, you're reminded always of the basics of business that. We can get crazy about the business models and the technology and, and the operations and all that stuff, but capital allocation becomes the critical thing. Where we choose to spend our time and our money and our people, and that's going to determine how successful we are. And, and in that context, many of your members have some real interesting decisions to make as they come into 2022. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah, uh, I think there's an ancient Chinese curse may live in interesting times. Oh, we are in interesting <laughs> times, no doubt. Indeed. Indeed. This has been a fascinating discussion, Mike. I've enjoyed hearing your predictions going forward. It's a really interesting 
market on so many different levels and uh, capital allocation in terms of, of time and money, but talent. And that kind of ties into this great resignation and the global war for talent, which is <clears throat> concerning everybody. And it kind of underpins what we can do overall. And Christy, I think it's great for your folks, <laughs> all your constituents, all your companies, all your members, all your attendees. Yeah. It's um, yeah. we're, we're blessed to be working in an industry that may be going through change, but at its core, it's also going through double digit growth. And in a world where there's not a lot of that happening, anyone who's in this space has got a lot of security and options and opportunity. It's a, a really exciting time to be here and I'm loving it. And I can see that you're loving it maybe a little too many hours in the day, but otherwise hopefully having fun. It beats the alternative, Christine. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Thank you so much for sharing your insights, Mike. It's been a great discussion. I've enjoyed every minute of it. And I'm going to encourage all of our listeners to tune in for this and other Pause for Payments episodes. Thanks for joining. Pleasure, Christy. Pause for Payments is produced by Women in Payments. And you can learn more about us at womeninpayments.org. You can also sign up to be a member and gain access to our global membership portal, where you'll find the latest industry trends, exciting career opportunities, and so much more, all created by women for women. All of our episodes can be found on many good podcast streaming platforms. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please remember to rate and subscribe. It really helps us to get found by others. Thanks everyone for listening.